Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NABTRADE's Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Today, I'm speaking with Dan Moore of Investors Mutual, who has joined us before. He was with us right at the beginning of COVID, and we had a conversation about what the COVID impact on markets was likely to be. Turned out to be very, very dramatic. Then we had a conversation about reopening last year. And now we're in this scenario where perhaps it's a tipping point again. You seem to be the person I speak to at a tipping point. (laughs) Dan, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Gemma. It's great to be back. So you recently wrote a piece for the AFR and We've had this conversation before, but it's such a cool way to frame things. Entitled, Suddenly the Market Cares if a Company Makes Money, in brackets, again. Feels very prescient right now. And it's an optimistic way of looking at things rather than saying everything's getting sold off and it's bloodbath. Let's talk about the fact that there's stuff out there that is actually worth buying because it will, over time, give you some value. Why would the market ever stop caring about whether companies make money? <laughs> so I guess that's a great place to start. It's, it's a really big question. I, I could give you a, a short answer or a very long answer. I'm going to do my very best to do something in the middle. Um, the short answer is people stop caring about whether a company makes money when they're over, overly optimistic. And it obviously normally happens in in a bull market um, and they're excited about the future of the company. You know, they think it's got great growth prospects and whether the company makes money today is not that relevant because the future is going to be so bright. Now, there is some, some companies where that logic um, is reasonable, but what happens in bull markets is this logic that applies to very few companies gets extrapolated to many, many, many companies where that logic um, is is less strong. And we're talking about companies that lose money today and are never really going to make it. And if you've looked at the current cycle, uh, it's been one of the most extreme cycles of unprofitable companies have uh, gone up you know, inc- incredibly um, and a very large number of them. And we're just starting to see that sort of unwind. It's actually been unwinding you know, for around six months now. And, and why that's happened is we've had this enormous amount of liquidity go into markets over the past two years, and that's starting to unwind as well. That's a great summary, actually. It's a nice, concise way of explaining how it happened. You did say this cycle has been somewhat extreme and it has felt that way. I mean, you have companies like Uber, and we're going to talk about Australia, not necessarily the US, but Uber says in its prospectus, we may never make a profit. Chuck your money in anyway. (laughs) It's kind of amazing. Yeah, uh, there's so many examples, isn't there? I mean, um, I recently watched the the We Crashed series on Netflix about uh, WeWork, which is another example, extreme example of these sort of unprofitable companies. But to put some context around it, um, if, if we go back to two years ago, really sort of the bottom of COVID, there's actually an unprofitable index in the US. Um, it's a, a Goldman Sachs unprofitable tech index. And that index went up fourfold 
um, in the space of 12 months. So that was your play. You have to go for the unprofitable <laughs> yeah. index. Generally, you think that sounds like a like a fairly rotten place to invest. It, it's. I mean, you, you wouldn't believe it unless it happened. And and, and why it happened uh, was the amount of liquidity that went into markets. And again, just to put a bit of context, so, um, and I'll just use the US because it's just the biggest example. But this was pretty similar across the world. US probably a bit more extreme, but the Federal Reserve over. 2020, 2021, they printed $5 trillion uh, and they, they bought a whole heap of securities in the market, pushing interest rates to zero and, and bonds you know, effectively to zero to try to avert a crisis during COVID. Now, $5 trillion, that's trillion with a T, is equivalent to 25% of GDP. In addition to that, the government in the US uh, did two budget deficits, the biggest in history, $3 trillion, twice in a row. So 2020 and 2021, $3 trillion with a T, twice. That's 15% of GDP each time. That is the amount of liquidity that found its way into financial markets. Um, not all of it, but a lot of it. And, and that created probably one of the biggest speculative booms it would be close to one of the biggest examples in history. I mean, the the tech boom was pretty special in, in 2000. And then if you look even back really far in history, um, the tulip bubble was a massive bubble in the 1600s. And, and you'd say the crypto bubble we saw, you know, in, in 2020, um, cryptos, crypto coins, whatever you want to call them, they went up tenfold in a year which is pretty similar to the tulip bubble back in the 1600s. So it, it, it was a really special time. And, and as of the past, you know, probably started really around November, it, it's, it's deflating it's, it, before our eyes. So that leads to the next question. And it's always easy to see these things in hindsight, but it's incredibly difficult to pick the bottom, right? So as you see this unwind... Do you think there's a flaw for these sorts of companies? Do you think some of them are just going to go all together? In regards to unprofitable companies, I mean, the best example is probably the tech wreck and a big percentage never recovered because they were never going to make money. Um, and there's um, in the, even in the Australian context. I mean, there's um, you, those that have One been investing. Tell. Yeah, mm. those that have been investing long enough will know them. OneTel, Davnet, Solution Six. There was heaps, and and they never recovered. And and this time will be similar. There'll be many of these unprofitable companies that will never make it because um, they never were. But there, of course, there there are some good businesses in that mix um, that will recover. I mean, Amazon. You know, uh, in the tech crash in the 2000s, I think, fell 90% um, and, you know, turned into a multi-trillion dollar business. So there will be a few, but a lot, a lot won't. It's interesting also that when you compare the tech rec to now, those companies were unprofitable in a fairly normal economic cycle, whereas now they're profitable, or sorry, unprofitable in an environment where they effectively pay nothing on their debt. And that's going to change pretty quickly. Yeah, the, uh, this, I mean, this cycle's it's sort of a couple of cycles in one. It, it, it's got remnants of the of the tech 
boom and crash, and, and then we've got remnants of the 70s as well with, with massive inflation. Um, yeah, so there's a couple, you know, higher interest rates is, is a threat um, to speculative companies, but, you know, just the, the economy in general um, and, and many companies. Um, so you know, there's definitely storm clouds, but I would say why I just... Just to put a bit of balance around this, um, while unprofitable companies or unprofitable tech companies are down 50, 60, 70% in the past six months, there are plenty of you know, good quality industrial companies that are actually up. Um, and that's because they never rose you know, that much to begin with um, and a reasonable value and they're doing okay. But for the, the speculative end of the market, there's there's a couple of things to be worried about. Um, it's not just the unwinding of the boom. It's also an impending economic situation that, that you know, could end in, in recession. Yeah, the economic side versus the market side is quite interesting. As I say, the market's predicted seven out of the last three recessions and uh, maybe they're predicting it again. Do you think boring is going to come back into vogue? It's interesting for you guys having been value managers and banging the drum about stuff that no one's got any interest in. Like, where's Afterpay? Talk to me about the stuff that went up 14 times last year. Is it coming back into vogue? Yes. I mean, I mean, I mean the, it's the absolute inverse of what we saw. Um, so uh, just for a bit of background, I, I work at Investors Mutual. We're, we're very much interested in more established companies that will do well in most economic environments and, and companies with a competitive advantage, recurring earnings, good management, um, that can grow over time. And, and so boring. <laughs> and the interest in those companies, I mean, we're all always trying to buy these companies um, at the right price, but the interest from the market in these companies um, fluctuates. And over the past few years, when the speculative companies were doing really well, the interest in these companies, you know, these established, you know, you call them boring companies, um, there was no interest. No one was interested in them. Um, the fact they paid good dividends or growing dividend stream, had a good balance sheet, was, you know, bottom of the list of what was important. You know, it was all about revenue growth. It was all about having a big TAM. So, Just explain TAM for people. Oh, yes. Total addressable market. Very technical term. Um, it's a completely made-up number. A company will, will tell you is the opportunity of the marketplace to sell their goods and services. Um, the bigger the TAM, the bigger the opportunity. Um, uh, I, we're always um, sceptical <laughs> um, when people talk about TAMs. Um, it, it's really a promotional term. My favourite example of TAM was someone saying that if you could develop a cotton bud, you can sell in China, then you've got a total addressable market of like one and a half billion people <laughs> who are going to buy one packet of your cotton buds every month and therefore your, you know, your total addressable market is X billion cotton <laughs> buds in this period. It was quite fun. It, like you effectively just have to assume as big a universe of humans as possible, preferably seven and a bit billion, and that they all want your product. Yeah, it's it's very easy to get big numbers very quickly with TAM. Um, unfortunately, accessing that TAM is you know can be can be quite tricky. But um, anyway, so back to the, the the boring companies had no interest and, and their valuations were very low. And, and what we're seeing today is as people are a, a less optimistic about the future, they can see 
rising interest rates, high inflation, and they're a bit worried about the outlook for growth, suddenly the focus shifts from companies with a really promising, bright future, maybe, to companies that are doing well today, um, paying good dividends today, have a good balance sheet, uh, make money. <laughs> These old school fundamentals um, are definitely coming coming back in vogue. Um, and, and these companies are now performing quite well because they've gone from no one being interested or very few um, to to more people wanting to buy these companies. Um, so it's been a welcome change um, from our point of view. Yeah, I can imagine you guys in there going, see, see. You did make the point in your article that this is just the cycle, that in every cycle we see the optimism get a little bit out of hand and people pay crazy money for things. It feels like it's been a really long cycle though, right? If you are trying to convince people of the merits of recurring earnings, for example, <laughs> it's been a long time since people have really paid any attention to the point where, you know, they thought Warren Buffett was past it. Are you seeing, do you feel that the cycle has gone on so long, the other side of the cycle will go on for a while? That, that's, that's a great question. Um, to answer it, you've got to, you know, I'll, I'll probably answer to start with why it was so long. Um, so it has been a very long cycle. And, and the reason it's been so long is you've had low, very low, or falling interest rates for a long time. And, and you've had that situation because inflation has been incredibly benign uh, since the GFC. And whenever there's been any sort of hiccup in markets, the, the Federal Reserve or you know, central banks globally have, have just pumped QE into markets. And under that, 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 that just breeds a complacency uh, of buy the dip. Um, capital markets, you know, the Fed will look after you access to liquidity, you know, will be there. Um, and it really did breed a, a, a massive VC industry. I mean, the VC industry has ha had enormous growth. Quickly explain VC. Oh, venture capital, venture capital. So th these are these are funds um, that provide money to startup businesses and, and they've grown enormously. So it, it's bred a heap of startup businesses um, and which has, again, fueled this um, unprofitable speculative boom. Um, and, and, and now what's happening is we've got inflation. You know, all that money printing has eventually uh, fed into rising prices f for goods, for, for wages, um, commodities. And, and now rates have to go up. And... and, and People, I mean, there'll be almost a generation of people who haven't seen rates go up in a material way um, on their mortgage um, in particular. Um, I had an interesting conversation with an investor. Sorry for interrupting, but I think it was so telling uh, at an event the other day and I mentioned that net interest margin that banks charge when I was at university was 4%. Right, that was standard net interest margin, 4%. So you would uh, charge 7% on a mortgage and you would pay 3% on a term deposit. And this particular investor who wasn't that young was like, oh, but I would 
you know, like interest rates will go to 2% and I'll be paying 4% on my mortgage. And I was like, oh, good luck. This is going to be nasty. You know, like it's going to come as a real shock if people are assuming that NIM is going to stay at 1.6, 1.7%. Like the gap between what you get and what you pay on the on the cash rate, it will expand as well as the cash rate going up. And I think that's something that a lot of retail investors, just individuals are not aware of. Yeah. I, I mean, another thing that, you know, we're a little bit concerned about is if you look at fixed rate mortgages. Uh, a lot of people locked in fixed rate mortgages a year ago. Uh, they were around 2%, 1.8, 1.9 with the very lucky ones. That's about 40% of the market is fixed rate in Australia. Westpac just released their new two-year fixed rate mortgages. Um, they're now 4.3, 4.4. And if you look at the seasoning of those fixed rate mortgages, uh, they're going to come up next calendar year. A, a very, I think about 50% of fixed rate mortgages will be refinanced next year and people are going to be going off 2%. Um, to four and a half ish, and it's yeah, it's going to be a, a bit of a shock for some people. Um, and, and you know, we, no, we would expect spending habits might change a, a little bit. So yeah, look, look, there's a there's a few things to be cautious about. Um, in addition um, to these speculative companies, which are unwinding as well. So if extraordinary growth is off the table in. Yeah, for the reasons you outlined, right? Rising interest rates, rising inflation, complete rethink by the market about what they're willing to pay for these things, withdrawing liquidity. Two things. Investors need to start looking for something else. But do you think they also need to moderate their expectations for returns? Yeah, well, if, if your expectations were for making... You know, 50, 100% a year, uh, which, look, I mean, with crypto, some people made tenfold in a year. Um, that's obviously completely unrealistic. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think the outlook for returns across all asset classes is, is going to be tougher um, as rates move up. Um, the, the key is, you know, where you invest right now. And, um, you know, it is a pretty tricky environment. And you really got to be focused on fundamentals. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time. Um, you've got to be really focused on, you know, we believe, you know, established companies that have got a strong competitive advantage, businesses with those recurring earnings that can do pretty well in all environments, you know, recession resistant, if you will. You need a good management team um, for sure. And, and, you know, hopefully that means those earnings can grow. And, and then you've got to buy them at a reasonable price. And and the good th- the good news is um, with share markets falling, um, you know, there's definitely some, definitely a number of stocks where the prices are much more reasonable. Um, but you know, you've got to be selective. So my question was going to be, where should people be looking now? Sure, you've sure. You've kind of answered that question, but maybe you can give people a bit more detail. Yeah, I, I, I could probably be a little bit stock specific and, and a little bit of detail. Am I allowed to do that? Am, am I allowed to give advice? People bloody love that. They oh, love okay, it. Okay, <laughs> okay. Um, look, to go into a little bit more detail, the, the biggest concern we're worried about is inflation and the ability for a company to pass on that cost inflation um, to their customers through higher prices. And, and that's not an easy thing to do if the consumer or, or business environment's a bit weaker. 
Um, no one wants to pay higher prices if, if you know, they've got to pay higher mortgage payments and things like that. So you've got to be a very strong business to be able to do that. So you, you really need to look at the companies with a degree of pricing power. And we also prefer businesses uh, where the, the, the product or service is relatively non-discretionary. You know, so, something that's essential, uh, you know, whether it's telecommunications, your, your mobile service, you know, whether it's um, pallets that move, you know, food and beverages or, or, or whether it's pathology services, you know, for, for, um, which you, you know, have to use if you're sick um, or rail haulage, for example, um, to move essential goods. Um, you, you want to be involved in the companies where the demand is not going to be too cyclical if, if things do get a bit tricky. And, and to give you a, one example, and, and, and then, sorry, just before I go give you the example, the other thing is for the price to be reasonable, sometimes it's got to be a little bit unpopular, a, a little bit not, you know, not in vogue at, at, the, at this point in time. And, and one company you know, we really like at the moment, um, which definitely is not on the popular list, um, is Horizon, which is a rail haulage company. Company, They own a rail network in, in Queensland, which is a regulated asset. So it's a recurring income stream, which is highly predictable. And the other part of their business is they own the wagons that go on the rail and, and their long-term contracts that grow with CPI. So the good news for Horizon is um, in March, CPI was 5%. Um, so the prices for all their wagons went up 5% in, for the March quarter. Um, so it's a really good place to be. Now, this company trades on a very low multiple and, and, and trades on a really high dividend yield. The dividend yield's around 6.5% fully franked. Fantastic management. What, why? why? Why is it unpopular? Why does it trade on a low multiple, and that's because about a third of the things they carry on those wagons is thermal coal, and everyone hates thermal coal. And, and we, you know, there, there's reasons, right? I mean, thermal coal will slowly decline over time. Um, we've, we don't have our head in the sand about that at all. But it's been put in the sin bin of it's got thermal coal exposure, not interested. But the reality is there's other parts of their business they haul that are growing incredibly quickly. So they also haul um, iron ore, they haul grain, they haul lithium, copper, nickel. Um, and the growth outlook for those customers they have is very strong, um, particularly lithium, for example, in the future. Now, the really exciting thing we like about Horizon is as the thermal coal customers decline slowly over time, they can move those wagons to their growth customers um, without spending any money, without spending any capital. So we think it's got you know, a bright future. Um, it's protected if inflation picks up. Um, it's an essential service and it's on a really low multiple. So that's that gives you a bit of an insight to what we're trying to find. And in the past six months, you know, it's done quite well. While many things are down 50, 60, 70%, you know, the um, horizon's actually up. But it's still very unpopular. Yeah, because it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Um, there are people who are very excited about trains. 
They think it's very exciting. Just, you know, not the average investor. Although when you say lithium and copper, there will be a whole ton of people who suddenly prick up their ears and are very excited about it. When we look at the parts of the market that have been really popular, one of the things I'm finding investors are having real trouble letting go of. First of all, we do tend to anchor ourselves to those higher prices and think that things will get back there. Uh, The number of investors who know that Afterpay got to $160 is incredible, right? People know that and they peg their hopes to that number despite the fact it's very much in the past. Investors do want to have exposure to the disruptors. They want to feel like they will have some dramatic upside to that new thing that's going to change the market and change the world. How would you suggest they look at that now, knowing that you have to be infinitely more selective than you may have had to be at any point in the last decade? You've got to make sure that the business model is sustainable. And and this sort of comes back to what I was talking about right at the beginning. Um, Some of these unprofitable companies or or no-profit companies had good business models and and there was a reason why they were unprofitable. And and, uh, the main reason is they make money, but they've got such good growth opportunities. What they do is they reinvest all their profits to grow their customers and grow their business. But they could be profitable if they just chose to slow their growth rate. So companies with good unit economics who have a real business model, um, something unique about them, you know, some sort of competitive advantage, um, those companies, you know, that they have a future. Um, and I, I would suggest, though, that there's not a lot of them. I, I think fewer than people probably realise. Um, and and there, could, there could be opportunities, definitely, because within the disruptor, unprofitable or no profit space or low profit space, um, they're all getting torched right now. It's every single one of them. And I, I'm sure there's, there's a few of them that, ha- that have a future, um, but it would be few, um, particularly in Australia. It'd be, it really would be a few. Um, so there could be great opportunities um, to buy some of these companies, um, but you just have to be very very careful and really do a considerable amount of research and 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 as a retail investor I always suggest um, you should know the business you, you should have some special insight about the business personally you should really only invest in what you really know well otherwise it's a tough game it's a really tough game there's a lot of people doing a lot of work and research um, for you, to, you need to have some insight because you know the business really well. Maybe it's an industry you work for, something like that, where you've got some insights the average person doesn't. But I'd definitely be very careful and I'd be very careful about any company that needs to raise equity um, to exist right now because the liquidity is, is not really there. Venture capital land is, is not giving out the checks like they used to. So the company needs to be able to fund itself. That's, that's an absolute must right now. One last question. Retail investors aren't worried about relative performance. You know, they really only care about actual above zero performance. And many investors have had to get used to the idea of 
maybe seeing some red in the portfolio in the last six months, which they did see during COVID if they had an existing portfolio. It didn't last very long, particularly if they were buying, which was you know, 80% of our customer base, they're all buying like mad. Uh, so if you are in that scenario where you need to make a return, you may be a retiree and you're living off the income, so that's a slightly different scenario. Should investors be concerned that there's further to go in this cycle and even the high-quality stuff's going to get dragged down? Or do you think there's a value in either hanging in there or putting more money to work? If you're a long-term investor, and I use that word carefully because I think a lot of people say they are when they perhaps are not, but if, if, if you're a long-term investor, and what, what I mean by that is you are, when you buy an investment, you plan to own it you know, three, five years plus. And part of the investment idea, particularly if, if you're at retirement age, is you're looking to live off the income from that investment you know, as well. It's not all about capital gain. Income's a big part of that return. Then you've got much less to worry about what the share price does over the next few years because really what's really important to you and, and your lifestyle is, is the income you're receiving. And if you're invested in the right sort of company where those earnings profiles are, are, are much less volatile, um, you know, those earnings are a bit more resilient and that have less volatility than the economic cycle, you can be pretty comfortable and 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 not follow the, the daily moves of the share price too much and, and not get too concerned. Whereas if, if you're more of a trader and, and you're buying a company that doesn't pay much income, pays no dividends, yeah, then it, it, it it's harder not to be caught up um, in, in what's going on, particularly if you need to fund your lifestyle, it, it it's, it's, um, gets complicated. If, if a share price is down 50 or 60% and you need, you need to sell some shares, um, to fund your holiday or, you know, whatever you, whatever you, you require in your life, well, you really don't want to be selling when it's down 50%, but if there's no dividends, you might not have a choice. So it really depends on what sort of investor you are. If you're long-term and, and the main reason for investing is, is, is the income then you should be relatively relaxed. And, and that's sort of our approach. Um, it, it's a much more sustainable approach. It's much less exciting um, than investing in disruptors and crypto. But, you know, we, we have a, a saying, you know, within the company, you know, the, the, the share market is, is a great place um, to build your wealth slowly over time or lose it really quickly. And we prefer the former. Um, and... It's not always popular. You know, people tell us we're dinosaurs occasionally, um, but through the long term, you know, it, it, it you know, delivers good results. It's interesting we're having this conversation now, right? 12 months ago, uh, we would be hearing from people if you're not investing in the high growth stuff, you're a dinosaur. There's so much FOMO out there from people who had missed that bounce out of COVID. The bounce out of COVID because so many retail investors caught it you know, and they rode that wave and did beautifully out of it. A lot of our guys were buying really sensible stuff. They bought banks and things and did really well. A lot of them bought BHP. Not a bad call. Um, so a lot of people did really well out of that bounce, but then, you know, it's getting to its peak and they're feeling like they've missed the window to maybe grab more. But uh, it's a different day today, right? Everyone's feeling very differently about markets. Dan, you guys publish 
a lot of commentary. You're very thoughtful about your process and what you will invest in and what you won't, which wasn't terribly sexy two years ago, but it's becoming much more appealing to people now. Where do people go to find out more about you guys and what you're working on? Thanks, Gemma. Uh, the best place is is to go to our website, uh, investorsmutual.com.au, or actually it might be iml.com.au actually, <laughs> um, or, or our LinkedIn page. Um, I'm sure we can clarify that. What, what, it's one or the other. Um, if Maybe you go- Google it. Google us and you, you'll find it. Um, but, yeah, Investors Mutual, um, yeah, we, we publish a heap of content. Um, you know, we've got a, a strong uh, retail investor base. Um, we have a lot of financial planners as clients. So, um, you know, communication is very important to us. So um, there's lots of good stuff there, videos, articles, all sorts of things. I think more and more people are doing that little bit of extra research now too. So they, uh, they appreciate knowing where to go. Dan Moore from Investors Mutual, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Gemma. Thank you so much for listening also. As always, we love hearing from you. The questions are changing now, right? It's all very different, but we receive fantastic feedback from you guys. We love getting your questions. So please just email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au and I look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.